Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. I'm, of course, Dave Gasper, joined, as always, by Matt Carroll. And as you know, we are the the editors at ReviewingTheBrew.com. And we have reached the end of the year, the end of 2022. It is just about over, as, as we recorded here, just a few days left. And what a year it was as the Brewers fell short of the postseason for the first time since 2017. Uh, it was, uh, there were some ups, there were some downs, uh, some very, very low, low downs. Um, and it is, you know, we're, we're at the end of the year here. You know, last week we talked with Kurt Hogue, uh, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and not much has really happened in the Brewers world since then, but a lot has happened in Brewer world this entire year. And some of it, we may have even forgotten happened this year, um, but there was there were some big stories. Um, Matt, we're we're at the end of the year. We have to have the the end of the year beer or end of the year drink. Yeah, uh, what you got going uh, over there for for your drink? So I got some uh, some little festive rum punch that I made. Uh, Trader Joe's has some funky little juice mix that I just added rum to. And it's quite delicious. Very nice. nice. I've got this, uh, let's see. I've got this mango cart, mango wheat ale from Golden Road Brewing. Okay. I have have not had it before. Um, So let's see how this goes. Sounds summery like you're waiting for Brewers baseball to come back. Mm, that, that's pretty good. Nice. Yeah. And yes, I am waiting for Brewers baseball to come back. I mean, we're in the dead of winter now. And I was just thinking to myself the other day, I miss baseball. You know, like, like we're getting towards the end of the regular season, Matt. And I was just kind of ready for it to be over <laughs> the way that they were going, the way that they were playing. But, you know, now that it's been uh, two, nearly three months since we last saw a Brewer game, I'm ready for some baseball, man. Angel Hernandez was trending today on Twitter, uh, and it just it took me back to <laughs> – I want someone to complain. I want to complain about Angel Hernandez again. It's sad that it takes that, but, yeah, I, I think I made it about three, maybe two weeks after the end of the Brewers season where I was like, okay, football kind of sucks right now because <laughs> obviously the – That's Bad because you're a Bears fan, Matt. The Packers were – not doing well at that point. It was already time for Brewers baseball to come back. I, but let's be honest. I mean that it wouldn't matter. I, I re- it was 60 out today. I mean it was basically yeah. baseball weather. It, it practically smelled like spring. Yeah. You know, with all the melting snow, the uh, it got to 50 up, up here in Madison. Yeah. So I mean it was it, it was nice. I didn't I didn't even put on my winter coat nope. to go to work. Just a sweatshirt and sweatpants because. When you work in radio, no one sees what you wear. So that's <laughs> true. That is one of the reasons why I got into radio instead of TV. Don't even have to dress up. So much better. Plus, no one has to look at my face if we're on t- <laughs> if we're in radio. But anyways, so we've reached the end of the year. It is nice and balmy at this point, which we deserve after that whole thing last week with the negative 20 degrees or whatever it was. Um, that was bad. I decided to binge, uh, breaking bad on that okay. Friday when they're just like, no one go out on the road. I just, I just turned on Netflix. I'm like, I haven't, I haven't gone through breaking bad. I haven't watched any of it before. So I made it through like a season and a half, you know, nice. I made a pretty good dent in it. Okay. We actually just started the Witcher, which, uh, Ooh, nice. I've heard plenty about and has been good so far. I must say because there's yeah. no Bruce baseball to watch. Yeah. We, we need some Brewers baseball. And, you know, we went through this the same kind of thing last offseason because the lockout happened. So what we're going to do here is we're going to go over the top stories, the top five stories from the Brewers season uh, this past year. And, you know, we're just kind of going back to the start of the year. I mean, we had the lockout for the first part of it. Um, we got a new CBA. Uh, it took forever. I mean, opening day was delayed. Uh, if you remember that, I mean, it, it's it's almost crazy how far back that is. Like, like, it almost doesn't even feel like it was this year that that we had the lockout 
we're all we're all hanging on to Bob Nightingale's tweets, yeah. giving us updates on the lockout and the progress in the CBA talks. Uh, Brent Suter was a big part uh, of the of the negotiations, the Brewers players uh, union rep, and finally, Matt, uh, I believe it was beginning of March, we finally got a deal agreed to, uh, and the season was able to start. Yep. Uh, God, and that was that was one of the best. Day. I remember, God, for about the week-ish before that, we were all just hanging on, like you said, Bob's every word, and there'd be it'd sound like we were close, and all, uh, the owners might be ready to make a concession. The players might be ready to make a concession, and Oh, oh no, we've got it. No, no, we don't. And it was like it was like dangling the oh, you got to be quicker than that. The the commercial, the Geico <laughs> commercial, dangling the dollar bill. And yeah. it, just, it was right there, and then it wasn't. Then it was right there, and it wasn't. And then they were pushing the start date, and like all this stuff just kept happening. And then we'd hear if they don't have a deal by this day, then they're gonna have to uh, cancel the season or cut off half the season or whatever. And then they'd push it a few hours. And it was just this, like, just emotionally draining cat and mouse game until we finally got the official word. And then it was confirmed and confirmed that the season was officially coming back. Players had to report to spring training, like, as fast as possible. Spring Cactus League and Grapefruit League games would be starting in, like, two weeks, basically. And, like, everything was just super full speed ahead. Yeah, it was it was a crazy, hectic time. Um, you know, I, I remember just kind of, you know, going through those things like, you know, the, they had set these deadlines. And, you know, the, the first deadline, it was like the end of February and it came and went. And Rob Manfred had to go out there and he announced that opening day was canceled or, or, or postponed or whatever. And he's laughing oh. at, at the press conference as he shows up there. Just, just a laugh and a smile and a joke. <laughs> By the way, we're canceling opening day. Yeah. And it was just a terrible look for him, terrible look for the sport, you know, as as these horrible things are happening. Uh, you know, they, they had these deadlines and they kept pushing these deadlines like, oh, we made some progress. Like there was there was that one night heading into that first deadline where they like they were at uh, I think it was the Cardinals spring training complex. They're, they're at someone's spring training complex mm-hmm. down in Florida. And like the players were on one side in their room and the owners were on the other side in their room. And it's just like, we got all these cameras and reporters outside watching uh, Rob Manfred and whoever else walk back and forth to the other side and walk over here. They're, they're going to meet with these guys. They're, they're, they've been over here for an hour. They're, they're going to counter, they're doing this and blah, blah, blah. And we're all just hanging on a thread. It was going to like two o'clock in the morning. Uh, and then, you know, you, you just kind of get to the end of it and they're just like, oh, they're going to call it quits for the night. And we're like, damn it. They're so close. They were yeah. right there. Like all these reports, like they're so close. They're right there. And they, it didn't happen. And then Jeff Passan, there, there is no deal. There was never going to be a deal today. You know, that, that whole, yeah. Oh, God. that whole mean, oh man, that was a debacle. Yep. Oh, it, yeah, it was just, it was so frustrating. And then, yeah, being so close so many times. Um, and then, and then we had our baseball back and, the brew, and then it was just the rush. After that, it was the rush to start. Like, okay, we have our plan on like guys we wanted to finish signing before everything is ready to go, um, before we got to head down there. And so there was a rush of transactions. All of a sudden, um, the Brewers had gotten that Hunter Renfro trade in right uh, off the gun. Right before how cl- the how clutch was that? Oh, just that was twenty twenty one. But how clutch was that? Yeah, just a beautiful last second shot from half court. Bring Renfro in, trade Jackie Bradley Jr. out, but that was really the major move that the Brewers had made, and you know fans were, I'm sure, you know, um, thrilled, hoping for some other moves. There's still money to yeah. spend. What's going to happen? But no contact allowed between the teams and the players, and so it, it was all just a crapshoot as to what it was going to end up being. And then the Brewers end up making a couple, uh, but that's basically it. And then it's like, all right, time to start getting ready for games. Now, according to uh, Atanasio and and Stearns, you know, they they had three guys uh, that they were really looking at to, you know, help with the DH or whatever else uh, when free agency kicked open. And we got one of them when they signed Andrew McCutcheon. 
shortly after free agency opened back up again. We expected this kind of huge flood of signings immediately after the CBA was signed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't necessarily get that, but we did, you know, there, there was a, a good amount of it. And the Brewers ended up with Andrew McCutcheon, which, you know, man, you know, it's, yeah. it didn't work out the way that uh, Mark Atanasio was hoping it would. Uh, but that wasn't our, our next, you know, necessarily our next big story. But I mean, the, getting the CBA to finally be signed and, you know, all the changes that come with it um, that, you know, really, I think are going to be overall beneficial for the Brewers going forward. I mean, there, there, are, there are some good things in that CBA that, you know, are good for the players, certainly. But uh, I think with stuff that, that helps out with small markets and, and things like that, that the Brewers uh, can be in better positions uh, based on that. I mean, there's no salary cap in there, so that doesn't necessarily help the Brewers, but there's never going to be a salary cap. Yeah. As long as the players' union has air in its lungs, there will never be a salary cap. It's it's just not going to happen. But So that was the, the big thing to, to start the year, because for two months, we there was nothing happening in baseball except just trying to get these two sides to talk to each other, and they never did, not until the end, not until the deadlines. And finally, they got it done. And opening day, um, at least uh, home opening day, on April 14th, 414, uh, that was that was a nice little little thing that they had in there. But mm-hmm. finally, baseball was underway, and it was beautiful once again. The beautiful game. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and I, God, I've, I've never been so excited to watch uh, – spring training ball uh, normally I kind of work my way up to it because um, you know it's there's a lot of games when it comes to the spring I'm excited to see the first couple and then kind of you know I, I build myself up because uh, I know there's several months of baseball almost every night to come um, where I'm going to be locked into my laptop and you know kind of half paying attention to other things at home after work and so you know you, you know I, I, I try and phase myself in when it comes to spring, but man, I was just, I was ready to like, just absorb as much baseball as I, as I physically could when it came back. And the sad part was, I mean, how, how long did the beginning of spring chain training actually, I should say the Cactus League games actually get delayed like three weeks, three weeks or so. Instead of six weeks of spring training games, we had about, three or four. Right. It's not like the 2020 pandemic season where we didn't get baseball till like July. Like no. it wasn't that bad. Um, but we were stuck it, trying to watch the KBO that year. Yeah. Like, like, like ESPN, like paid a whole bunch for the rights to, to Korean baseball games. Right. And like people, like we, I remember actually staying up and trying to watch them and like, mm-hmm. just watching these, these Korean games. Like that was, Oh God, that was a bizarre time. Yeah, but um, so compared to that, like it wasn't that bad, that long of a wait that we had to go through, but it felt like it because of how damn long that lockout took. And maybe just because of the fact that because of the lockout, there was no news like we didn't get to have news of signings and rule five draft. And, you know, this uh, player has agreed to a contract to avoid arbitration and the normal cycle of uh baseball news that we get over the off season after basically Thanksgiving or so it was done radio silence for December 1st. Yeah. Yeah. So like maybe that's why it just spring training and everything came coming, coming back just felt like such a huge sigh of relief. Um, But I was, I remember not being maybe outside of the pandemic season, not being, as happy to watch games in a long, long, long time, as far as I can remember. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause I remember like when, when that happened and like in 2021, as soon at, like after that season, like you weren't allowed to go to games or anything like that. Mm-hmm. As soon as they announced the spring training schedule and like, and tickets were on sale. Oh yeah. I told, I told my family, I'm just like, let's go. <laughs> yep. Like we need baseball in our lives. Let's go to Arizona and watch spring training. Mm-hmm. So we went and it was great. And I want to do it again, but uh, we'll we'll see. We'll have to see if uh, if I can get that uh, compensated for by by the bosses. We'll we'll see if that happens. But <laughs> see if they can send me down there. But yeah, um, yeah that was. It, it's just you know just 
great seeing it, seeing sunshine and baseball down there in the Cactus League and, you know, just kind of ready for it to for it to go and for the season to start. The hope of a new season. Mm-hmm. And then the hopes get dashed. OK, uh, oh. moving on to to the next the next big story of the year in chronological order. Probably the biggest story of the year, arguably. Josh Hader. The Josh oh. Hader trade is is next on on the big story. I mean, you, you go through the first part of the season and, you know, the first two months were great. Uh, the rotation then started to deal with some injuries. Then you get to July and the Brewers are still in first place. At the end of July, they got a three game lead over the St. Louis Cardinals. And it's like, OK, they're going to make some additions. They're going to help this team out and uh, make themselves a World Series contender this year. And instead, the Brewers traded Josh Hader. The San Diego Padres, and we've been over this time and time again on the podcast, if you are listening, um, unless you've been under a rock since <laughs> August, uh, you are aware of of this whole debacle and how poorly it went um, and just how mind-boggling it was, Matt, a first-place team trading away an all-star closer for prospects and big league guys, but you DFA'd one of them two days later. Uh, but so you trade an all-star closer for prospects at the deadline when you're in first place. If they were a fourth place team, I'd get it. It makes sense. A first place team, what the hell? You when you put it like that, yes, absolutely mind-boggling. It's interesting though the different angles that you can look at it. From the start, when the trade itself just happened and nothing else, none of the other dominoes had fallen yet, because that uh, those obviously make you look at that in a completely different light. But you've got a first place team that trades their multiple time all star, multiple time NL reliever of the year away. That doesn't happen. That never happens. On the other hand, you have a small market team who trades away a reliever who is about to get paid in a year and a half, a year and a half away from free agency. That part of it does make sense. If you didn't have any context as to where they were in the standings, who that team was, how the roster was built, et cetera, et cetera. And then you look at the trade, the trade itself. Yes, you're trading away one of the best closers, if arguably maybe not the best closer in the league away, um, but you're getting two pieces that are supposed to help this year for a playoff push, two pitchers. So you trade one pitcher for two pitchers. One of those two pitchers having nearly as many saves as Hader. You can talk about like how they got to that point, both of them really. Um, and then another pitcher, as you mentioned, um, as well as two guys for the future another young outfielder and a really highly regarded prospect pitcher. Three different angles that you can look at this trade and you can have completely different points of view on whether or not it was a successful trade. But then a lot of other stuff happens and we find out what happened behind the scenes when it came to that trade. And oh, did even the most optimistic of opinions on it end up changing at that point. Yeah, it uh, turned into something really bad, really fast. And, you know, there were all the rumors coming out, you know, after they traded Josh Hader, because there was still a day to go. We Mm -hmm. we still had a whole 24 plus hours until the actual deadline. So there was still room to maneuver. And there were rumors that, you know, they got all these big plans. They're going to be like making these moves and these moves. They could flip these prospects. They could move these guys. They could do all of this and that and completely reshape their roster at the deadline. And so it's like, okay, so like you're almost in a bit of a holding pattern. It's like, let's see what else they do before we completely judge and condemn them for for the Josh Hader trade. And, you know, then, okay, they come through later that night. Matt Bush comes in Mm -hmm. uh, they they trade for him. Uh, And then the next day, you know, you get to deadline day and nothing's really happening. Some trades are being made, but the Brewers aren't really doing much. And then. They get Trevor Rosenthal for some reason, despite the fact that he was hurt. Um, they trade for him and nothing else. So you get another reliever on top of another reliever after you already acquired two relievers in exchange for the one reliever that you already sent out. 
So you you jumbled your bullpen for whatever reason. Um, you brought in a couple of arms. You DFA'd one of them the next day. Uh, that was mind-boggling. Like why you why you trade Hater for Denelson Lamette, um, and then two days later you're like, oh, we've got too many uh, guys and not enough 40-man roster spots, so we're just going to DFA Lamette instead of Jake McGee, um, instead of putting. Uh, Trevor Rosenthal in the 60-day IL, taking him off the 40-man. They never did that. Um, they decided to get rid of Lamette, which was stupid. But uh, that that just adds an, another layer to the hater trade. You know, when you see just kind of what they ended up doing with it and, and what they did with Lamette and him being sent out the next day, and, you know, you you traded Hater for, for Taylor Rogers, who's – like it, it's a clear downgrade, you know, even with haters struggles there for like two weeks, it's a clear downgrade in the bullpen. So you just downgraded your team and acquired two prospects who did not even help you at all down the stretch. They didn't give Asteria Ruiz any sort of run, Mm-mm. you know, they, they trade for him. It's like you, you needed a bat. He was the only bat they acquired at the deadline and they didn't even use him. When they when they were trying to upgrade their offense, they even said we're trying to upgrade the offense. We just some of the guys we wanted didn't get moved, and uh, you know situation you know it just didn't turn out the way that they had wanted or hoped. And it's like, look, you knew you wanted to upgrade the offense. You got one bat and Asterio Ruiz, who's got some big league experience, not much, but some. Mm-hmm. Why not give him some run? Why not? It, it would make sense. Well, it made 100% sense, uh, and we we find out at the end of the season, you know, once everything's said and done, the Brewers' offense on a runs-per-game scored basis was okay. It was top third of the league. Great. But we all saw, we all watched the season, we saw that when it came to, you know, certain situational-type hitting, um, times when they needed, you know, they needed guys on base, you know, it just was, there were still major flaws to the offense, and yeah, Everyone was longing for them to bring in a bat, and that's the one you get. But he at least was major league worthy. It's not like they brought in, yeah, he's a prospect, but it's not like they brought in a high A guy. Like they brought mm-hmm. in a guy who already had a major league experience, was back and forth in AAA at that point, but he had the ability. So give it a shot. It's not like you were so set in the outfield after your you know top three starters um, and really, at that point, your top two starters, because your original center field starter was off the team now, um, it's not like you didn't have roster space, you know, to allow for it. So you might as well have just brought him up and give him a shot. And no, they don't end up doing that. So then with all of that said, when you've got the trade and then you've got the corresponding moves and just how they didn't quite seem to address the team the way that they should there was the clubhouse aspect of all of it. And we have found out bit by bit ever since then how much the organization just utterly failed to consider the full impact of what that hater trade would do to the players. Mm-hmm. And it was ju- that that just was the icing on the failure cake that was that Josh Hader trade. Because it just every every extra bit that we end up hearing about is is just yeah we could have told you that yeah yeah you'd think they would have known better um, and we saw even at the winter meetings you know Craig Council talking on uh, MLB Network how he's like you know we all underestimated um, just how much the the hater trade would impact that clubhouse and you know for what it's worth I don't think Craig Council underestimated it. I mean he knows those guys better than anyone. If anyone would know how that clubhouse would react, it'd be Craig Council. And he is too smart and too good of a manager and knows his players too well to have legitimately underestimated just how bad trading away Hater would negatively impact that group. I think he's covering for the organization and just, you know, he's saying we you know, as if he's part of it, but that that certainly was not his idea. You know, I, I don't think Craig Council is just like, oh yeah, okay, I'm I'm completely okay with trading away Josh Hader and, and not getting any sort of help back for this team. Yeah, we're totally going to be fine with this. No, I, I don't think 
council was on board with that idea at all. I think he's just, you know, taking the bullet for the organization. Um, but yeah, how they completely underestimated that is, is beyond me. I mean, that it seems so obvious to, to everybody, um, that, that doing so would just have a negative effect, you know, at mo at best, it would have a neutral effect on the clubhouse. And that's what you're hoping for. And that's a, that was a slim shot, uh, for that. And, you know, that trade is, you know, it, it spun off so many different things. You know, a first-place team trading away their all-star closer. Now we've got all these rumors all off-season about a Corbin Burns trade or a Willie Adamas trade or things like that. And, you know, how how they're selling, they're rebuilding. And, you know, it's, you know, it's whatever. And it, it's just so frustrating. And it all stems from that. Mm-hmm. It all stems from that move. And, um, you know, you mentioned in there as as well, just... How like like how could they have actually thought that that it, that it wouldn't have the, the, this kind of an effect? And the sad part was we saw this coming. Everyone saw a potential hater t- trade coming for the better part of two years almost. But not in July when you're in first place. Not in July when you're in first place. But even if they did decide to time it then. I, I think everyone assumed that they would at least get something better back in return than what they ended up getting. I mean, like, they were supposed to get a ransom. Like, the with all the talk about hater, all the, like, trade uh, hater trade proposals that we have seen on the Internet, not just by, you know, smaller sites, but by, you know, ESPN and The Athletic and MLB.com and like all these publications trying to project hater trades, we're all the Brewers getting back big pieces, either like a, you know, top five prospect or two from another team or an MLB ready player with impact. Like the, the talks about this had been going on for so long. The general idea of a hater trade was not foreign to Brewers fans. So for it to have actually gone down, but gone down the way it did, I think made it just that much more disappointing because it was like, okay, yeah, we knew this would happen at some point, but for God's sake, we thought we'd at least be able to be happy about some of it. And there was so little bit that was to be redeemed by it for so long. Now we're getting to the point and we'll, we'll get there where like, some returns may be coming from it's one of those where it like might not pay off for a while but man for for months there after it happened it was like hater finally gets traded and this is what we get out of it seriously yeah and doing it in july and then afterwards you end up missing the postseason mm-hmm. um in large part because you know you didn't have hater you blew 16 save opportunities after he was traded away in the final two months most in the big leagues uh, that had a part in it. Um, what it did to the clubhouse and the rest of those guys, I mean, the, like morale is is a real factor. Um, and clubhouse morale and trust and chemistry is, is a real factor uh, in terms of winning games, even if you can't quantify it on a spreadsheet. Um, it's, it's there. It's a part of it. And it, it was negatively impacted, uh, impacted the team down the stretch. And that takes us to our next big story of the year, the you know our Brewers 2022 year in review here on the Cold Brew Podcast. Uh, the next big story, chrono- chronologically, Lorenzo Kane. You mentioned him earlier, Matt, about you know the Brewers center fielder kind of being out the door. They need they need some outfield help. Lorenzo Kane was that outfielder that was sent out the door. Final year of his five year deal, he. Did not barrel a single ball all season. His bat died, uh, died quickly, um, and it was it was horrifying to watch. And so he gets DFA'd, and a few months later, you know, he's able to meet up with the team in uh, Colorado, I believe it was, when they were on a road trip out there, and and see the guys again. And I think they were doing their fantasy football draft or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And Lorenzo Kane absolutely roasts the organization. Um, and he was not happy, uh, with management. 
and what they've done with the chemistry of the team, the clubhouse culture. Uh, that he had some incredible quotes that we haven't we haven't seen about the Brewers in a long time. Typically, they're an organization uh, that is very cognizant of clubhouse chemistry and culture, uh, and and they've had a very good one, which is why they have free agents that do want to come to Milwaukee. They have players that love playing here and, and that want to come play here, and that's been a big part of it. But Lorenzo Cain did not have good things to say about it. You know when. He caught up with with friend of the podcast, Adam McAlvey, and he was asked if he missed playing baseball. And Lorenzo Cain said, I have my days now and then, but for the most part, not really. I've been keeping up with the team from afar, and I see they're struggling a little bit. That's an understatement. Hmm. Uh, I wouldn't say I saw that coming, but I feel like when you mess around with the chemistry of the team, things like this can happen. He then goes on to say... Analytics doesn't judge or measure the heart of, of a person or the chemistry of a team. Certain guys need a certain comfort level and playing together. They complement each other. You go into the locker room saying, I'm comfortable today. I can talk to my buddies about anything, hang out and relax. When you move guys around, especially when you started with a certain group, you slowly start to lose that. It can definitely affect the win and loss column for sure. Uh, yeah, that's uh, there, there were a lot of guys going in and out. Um, and then... He gets to really kind of, you know, some more of the, the damning parts about his role on the team. You know, when he was asked about, you know, his, uh, you know, group and what happened when uh, Hater comes out, he said, he said, it is what it is. That's one of the reasons we kind of parted ways. I honestly feel like I never got that respect as a veteran, as a leader on this team from certain coaches and certain upper management. That's mostly why we parted ways when we did. Keep in mind, the Brewers kept Kane through until he reached 10 years of MLB service time, and then they DFA'd him that very same day. Um, so Lorenzo Cain didn't feel he was getting respect as a veteran leader from uh, coaches and upper management. Um, he goes on to say, it wasn't about playing every day because I know I was struggling a little bit. Uh, this goes back to not only this year, but years and years. It's been three years where I felt this way. I think when you mess around with that, when you're supposed to be the leader of the team, the veteran in the clubhouse, and you don't get that respect that you feel you should get as a leader and a veteran, I think it makes it harder for me to lead and certain guys to also lead. Ultimately, it shows up in a big way when you go out there and play on the field. Lorenzo Kane, Matt, disrespected, not respected as a leader and a veteran by certain coaches and certain upper management. That was a lot to unpack at the time. And I remember when we first heard about those comments, there were, there were two pretty big observations that a lot of us had. One, it was weird considering that when the DFA actually happened, it seemed like everyone was at least to, had come to terms with the reasons why and felt okay about it. So, you know, from everything we had heard during that, um, Kane and, you know, Stearns or whoever had conversations about how they wanted it to go down. Um, the Brewers didn't just go ahead and, you know, DFA him when he started struggling. They were aware that, you know, the importance of the 10 years of service time, how much he meant to the team and the fan base, they afforded him that opportunity to stay with the roster. It Everything we heard was there were discussions about it. That's why the timing happened, but both sides were on board with it. So that was weird. But then also the fact that, like, this is Lorenzo Cain. We've been watching him since 2018, and this isn't a guy who just comes out and spouts off all the time mm -hmm. over the years. He's a guy who, when you do get him aside, when reporters do get him aside and ask him questions, he does give some good, solid insight. You know, maybe there was a little sarcasm or some jokes in there. Um, but he's not one to just go off and start complaining and start tearing, you know, management and things like that to shreds. That's just not the kind of guy he had been. And so it felt like to a lot of us that for him to come out and kind of say some strong words like that, he must have obviously clear, was feeling very strongly about that to the point where he actually had to like come out and say something. And it got to the point after that, that like he wasn't the only one we would see Eric Lauer come and speak out here and there. Um, Corbin Burns, when he was asked about not, you know, whether they had 
started talking about an extension, you started seeing players start to be a little bit more vocal. But um, it was odd for a couple of those reasons, or I should say maybe not odd, but just surprising, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something you never really expected to hear from, you know, hear about the Brewers, but especially from Lorenzo Kane. I mean, but by all public accounts, you know, the breakup had been mutual and it was, you know, fine. Um, but, you know, I, I think one of the big things that, that shows up in this is that it's been three years mm-hmm. where Kane felt this way. Like, it, it's been going back several years that he's been upset with the organization um, and, and that this has been going on um, as the clubhouse culture has, has kind of uh, decayed uh, a little bit. Um, so that's uh, some, you know, more interesting insight. Um, then his final quote here uh, really kind of sums it all sums it all up. Uh, he said, "I think de- I definitely think the boys can turn it around, but yeah, when you go through rough times, you need certain guys to keep guys going. I think that's one of the reasons it's been a struggle to get guys out of the funk. When you get rid of certain guys, when you start messing with the chemistry of the clubhouse, it affects everybody. It's happening right now. Hopefully, they can turn it around. But you can see it's been weird." something's off for sure. And Matt, that was, that was spot on. Something was off for sure. I mean, you, you could see it. Mm-hmm. You could see it with that group ever since that trade, um, that those guys have been in a funk that they, they were affected. They were acting weird, playing weird. It, it was so unusual to see, uh, from this team. And it's just, it, it seemed so avoidable. As well, you know, the, the, the hater trade didn't necessarily need to happen um, and, and how they went about it. Like they didn't need to go about it that way. You know, wh- whatever they were thinking of doing and however they did it, um, they could have done it much better. And, you know, just to kind of hear this, you know, re- review and just, you know, when you get rid of certain guys, you know, I don't, I don't think Kane is necessarily talking about himself either. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it definitely seemed to be more about Josh Hader. Um, and the role that he had in that clubhouse, because he was he was a veteran leader in there as well. And, you know, some people would point to this being sour grapes from Lorenzo Cain. You know, just, oh, he was mm-hmm. DFA'd and I was talking trash about management and, you know, that that's all that it is. I don't think so. Cain is not the guy to do sour grapes. Uh, he never has been, you know, for his whole career. That's just not the kind of personality he has. And, like, he brings up some very legitimate points. Um, in his comments about how the organization has been run. Yeah, there were so many comments on social media, especially uh, about the Lorenzo Cain sour grapes. And I just, if you actually paid attention to the Brewers over the last few years and saw the kind of guy that Lorenzo Cain was, I just, I, I just don't feel like you can realistically say that about him. They're the same type of people who, you know, referenced him quitting on the team uh, during 2020 when he opted out of the of mm-hmm. the COVID season. Something that every single player was allowed to do. Uh, and he's he's got his famously got his three kids. He's got a family to think about. Like he was thinking about safety when it comes to that. So, but the, the same type of people who thought he was sour grapes thought that like he was somehow a bad person for op- opting out in an opportunity that was given every single player. But yeah, like you said, like paying attention to the kind of guy he was and the way he um, conducted himself and all those types of things, just there. That's why I, I just couldn't I I could not get on board with that. And especially now that we've seen everything play out. Everything he said was true. Like you said, Mm -hmm. there was a noticeable difference with that team on the field. I think outside of Willie Adamas, basically, and a few of the other guys who, you know, try and keep things light and happy and fun and things in the dugout, almost everyone else just seemed just to be like in this borderline funk or so. And that ends up leading to blown saves. It ends up leading to... um, grounding into double plays with the bases loaded and um, just, you know, the, the bad things that happen when, when maybe your heart's just in it like 5% less because your friend got traded or you think the organization doesn't care about you winning that team or 
you know, all the reasons that a player might be salty about the way that things kind of went down at the trade line in the few weeks afterwards, um, he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong at all. And we know that now, like in hindsight, we definitely know that. But at the time, it was still noticeable. You, There were still signs that everything he was saying was 100% correct. Yeah, and I think just the fact that a player, you know, came out and spoke this um, negatively about the organization, I mean, that was probably about as shocking as the hater trade itself. You know, seeing that go down the way that it did, you know, just kind of hearing this about the organization when we've heard nothing but positive things about them and thought nothing but positive things about them for years, you know, with how they've gone about things in the David Stearns era, it's it, it was just a, a massive surprise to hear um, the feelings this way. And, you know, but yeah, he was, he was right. He was right about everything and had good reason to, to be upset. And speaking of the David Stearns era, our next biggest story of 2022 on our year in review episode here of the Colbert podcast, David Stearns steps down. Uh, this came down at the end of the, at the end of the season, shortly after the off season uh, got going, David Stearns, Got burnt out. He's been leading the Brewers front office for seven years. um, And just, you know, a lot had been happening. You know, just went through a a very tough end of the season after a very, very tough trade deadline. I mean, that was the most weird trade deadline I've ever seen from David Stearns. I mean, pretty much every single move he made was a bad one. Just bad decision after bad decision. It was a horrible week. uh, And and he picked a horrible time to have a horrible week right, right there at the deadline. And, you know, I don't know if that was because he was already feeling burnout um, or if because that thing went so horribly, he started to feel more burnout, uh, whatever it was. But David Stearns is, is like, look, I need to take a step back, spend some time with my family and just kind of relaxing because I get no time off. Um, so Stearns steps down. Matt Arnold moves uh, to the lead decision maker now for the Brewers. He's still the GM. He is not the president of baseball ops. Yes. Um, he's right. still just, he still just has a GM title, but Matt Arnold now in charge as David Stearns steps down and Matt, you know, when this happened, I think everyone assumed, okay, he's leaving for someplace else uh, immediately. But by the looks of it, his burnout, you know, his, his comment of, you know, I'm just feeling burnout seems genuine. Yeah, because he's not on the Mets. <laughs> that when we as everyone or the Astros, really, because the Astros, really, the Astros fired James Click after winning the World Series um, for some reason, uh, and you know, it's like, oh, like it, you know, it's definitely going to be Stearns now. He's available, and he said no to going back to his old stomping grounds in Houston and taking over a World Series winning club. Like he turned that down. It's legitimate burnout. Right. Absolutely. So, no, Stearns did not go to the Mets. No, Stearns did not go to the Astros. He steps down into a consultant role with the Brewers. Um, and it, we've heard kind of now some stories since then of, um, in particular, the, um, oh, shoot, now I can't remember. I know it was with the Rays, which actual trade it ended up being, though. Willie Adamas. It was the Willie Adamas trade. Okay. Um <clears throat> Yeah, about we we've heard a story now. I think uh, friend of the podcast Robert Murray was actually talking about it um, on uh, his podcast uh, during that trade. Stearns just wanted to have a nice dinner day with off his family for the yeah. one his first day off in forever, and he ends up having to leave the dinner to talk trade with another team. Like, yeah, I have to imagine that I'm sure there's part of that that's expected when it comes to the job. But also when you're David Stearns and you're, you know, as young as you are and just starting a family and all those types of things, you want a little family time, for Christ's sakes. Like, like, is that too much to ask? And he just couldn't even have one single night. And so it doesn't surprise me that he burnt out. But um, I think still we... I guess once we heard it at the time, we're like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. But I I almost feel like even to this day, as Brewers fans are almost like, okay, but when's he going to announce that he's going to one of those teams? (laughs) Like we almost just feel like we've got the 
the little brother syndrome being small market that we just expect something like that would happen. And it has, it still hasn't happened yet. Like it's, as far as I can tell, yeah, this is legit. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of the crazy part too. Cause I think when he first said it, everyone's just kind of like, yeah, but you lying. Like, like we know you're, you're <laughs> right? planning to leave someplace else, you know, cause there have been rumors about the Mets being after him for years and, you know, other teams wanting him, and, you know, they steps down in a consultant role and, you know, typically, um, and if it's a lateral move, unless it's a promotion, teams will block other teams from trying to interview their executives. Mm-hmm. So now that he's down as a consultant, you know, it, it would be a promotion, not a lateral move. So in all likelihood, I think he ends up going elsewhere. You know, after this, you know, he's got one year left on his contract, you know, that, that he'll spend as a consultant. Um, maybe he'll want to stick around. Maybe not. Probably not. Um, Mark Atanasio certainly was willing to give him an extension, you know, w- was willing to keep him around. He, he wasn't, will- he wasn't looking to, to move on from him, but, um, you know, really now that Matt Arnold is in charge, I don't see any way, you know, it, like, like say Stearns comes back at the end of 2023, you know, his contract is up. He's, he's taken his year off his, his consultant year, I guess. Um, and he comes back and says, you know what? I want to lead baseball ops again, and I want to be president of baseball operations for the Brewers. Do you think the Brewers would put him back in in that leadership role and demote Matt Arnold, essentially? Like, I mean, they could, but would they after they promoted Arnold to it? I mean, would Arnold accept a demotion? Like, like, like where do you go there? So I, I think it's... I think it almost has to be. I think it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to go someplace else, provided he decides to stick in baseball. I mean, perhaps with all that burnout and, you know, with the wife and the young kids, perhaps he doesn't want to lead a baseball operations team anymore. He just wants to have maybe a regular nine to five job and just spend each each night at home. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, maybe that maybe that happens. Maybe not. But if he does want to lead again. I don't think it's going to be able to be with the Brewers unless they're willing to demote Matt Arnold for no reason other than Stearns wants his job back. Right. I think, yeah, I think continuing with the Brewers, I think we, most fans would agree is probably not what's going to end up happening, but you're right. Like maybe he wants to be in more of a like financial operations or something like that um, in a big league office, you know, um, like a almost like a Rick Schlesinger type job or or even higher. Like, I don't know, like maybe that's where he decides like he still wants to be in baseball, but on a just a different operational um, segment of it. I don't know. And then if that's the case that, you know, he would have all kinds of jobs at his disposal. Um, being a GM is hard. Being a GM requires mm-hmm. a lot of dedication, a lot of your time all of the above and like he's shown that he can be effective at it. I don't know that he has a whole lot more to prove in that sense. He's got nothing to prove. Right. He didn't, did he bring a team to a world series? No. Um, but he brought a team in one of the, in the smallest media market in the league uh, right to the doorstep. So if you can do that, imagine what you can do to a team with a team with resources. I have no doubt in my mind that if you gave him the Mets resources that he could build a team and be like world series. I got this. Like, I don't think there's, I don't think anyone would doubt that. So as long as he doesn't feel like he doesn't have something to prove in that sense, he can pretty much do whatever he wants at this point. And that's really the question. What does he want to do? Uh, And now he's kind of got some time to think about it, which good for him Um, because now we've kind of moved on to um, Matt Arnold uh, being at the center of operations and he's already kind of started doing some things to make a name for himself. So um, things kind of keep moving on. Uh, the Brewers remain in good hands. And Stearns kind of, he gets to focus on himself for a little bit. Which, as we saw, there's not a lot of time to do <laughs> when you're leading uh, roster building for a Major League Baseball team. Yeah, he, he's taking his gap year. As uh, is, is what it seems like he's doing, but um, yeah, that, that's a 25 hour a day, eight day a week job leading a leading a baseball team. So, you know, good for him to be able to have the opportunity to to take this kind of a gap year and just kind of rest and, and reset and um, just kind of you know get himself in a in a better position. 
Um, I, I certainly don't blame him. I mean, we've seen, you know, other GMs talk about it and, you know, trying to get some work life balance and how difficult it is. Um, so, you know, it's, it's tough for him, but you know, they, they have kept some pretty good continuity in that front office. I mean, Matt Arnold has been with him, you know, ever since Stearns got here. Um, and he's been the GM for the past couple of years and now he takes over. And as you mentioned, Matt, he, is building a, a resume of his own and the the big resume builder so far, the William Contreras trade. That that Ooh. is our final big story uh, of 2022 on our year in review. The William Contreras heist happening a couple of weeks ago. Um, and this is, I mean, th- th- this is huge. I mean, th- this is def- a definite resume highlight uh, for Matt Arnold. I mean, th- this is similar to to what Stearns did with. Uh, Christian Yelich, but you know, with Yelich, that happened a couple years in uh, to his tenure, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know a little bit different than Matt Arnold doing it in his, in his first year. But Stearns came in to start a rebuild. Arnold has to get to the playoffs immediately, essentially. So he ends up trading Esteri Ruiz, who was acquired in the aforementioned Josh Hader trade, the the ill-fated Josh Hader trade, trades Esteri Ruiz. For William Contreras, catcher, all-star catcher slash DH for the Atlanta Braves. He comes in five years of team control, pre-arbitration, all-star catcher, hit for power, hit for average. And he is the Brewers' new catcher of the future. And all across the Brewers was their fifth best outfield prospect. These are the types of trades that we used to make us say David Stearns is a genius. And Matt Arnold ends up doing one of his own, just amazing to be able to hop in and be like, hey, I know you guys are having trouble with this deal. Maybe we've got some pieces that'll make things work for everyone. And to to pry a catcher out of the Braves that they didn't have to let go, like even if they were acquiring Sean Murphy, like, I don't know. Well, they mean, also have just signed to a contract extension, by the way. Right. Yep. Because that's what they do with everyone who comes yep. in. They just I, the Brewers should start good. doing that. <clears throat> Corbin yeah. Burns. Excuse me. Yeah. Get a clue, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, but like they could have they could have said like no Brewers, you can have Travis Darno. Like that that will give up. Like why why wouldn't they? It's not like they have to pay Contreras. They could keep him and they they've worked Contreras into DH like I could I'm sure they could find a way to for Contreras and Murphy to coexist if they really wanted to but no the Brewers end up prying Contreras out in the deal and Atlanta doesn't end up having to ask for any any pieces at all from the Brewers in this trade somehow uh Oakland is just enamored with Asturi Ruiz which again like we've we've talked about before like okay, like there might be some cool things that he is able to do at the big league level once he's he, fast, man, he's, he is fast. And they say the run game might start becoming a big thing with uh, the bigger bases and the um, reduced amount of moves to first and things like that. Like fast guys might, might, might be able to make a new living for themselves. But between that and if he becomes an on-base guy, like, that's it. Those are his tools. Like he's not, he doesn't have power. He's not a gifted defender. He doesn't have a particularly good arm as far as I'm aware. Like he's fast and in the minor league level, he can get on base a lot. It has yet to translate to the major league level. That's a two tool player. Like, and the Oakland A's were that enamored by him for those two tools that they were like, yeah, that's it. That's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll take Ruiz. We really want him guys. Like the fact that Arnold was able to recognize that and be like, okay, yeah, cool. That sounds like we've got the missing parts for this deal. Let's do it guys. And the other two teams were like, okay, Uh, it's just, wow. I, that was just a mind blower right there when we heard about it. And yeah, again, I'm sure you were about to talk about it. The anticipation of Brewers fans of, okay, but what else? What else are we getting up, giving up besides Ruiz was just, Oh, that was like, that was the biggest, craziest part yeah. of that whole day. There had to be more. Yeah. There had to be more. It, it only made sense. But, 
Yeah, apparently not. I mean, the the way it, it apparently went down, the Braves wanted a couple of position players, major league ready position players, in return for Murphy. And the Braves, uh, with most of their players signed to long term extensions, weren't willing to move them. Vaughn Grissom is one of their only youngsters that, that's a regular that uh, you know that isn't locked down. But with Dansby Swanson now signing with the Cubs in free agency. They need him to take over a shortstop. They weren't willing to move him. They wanted to move Contreras. But the Braves, or, or the Oakland A's, were only willing to make the move of Murphy because they wanted to clear room for Shea Langoliers, mm-hmm. who they just got from the Braves last year in the Matt Olson trade. Yeah. So they don't want to take Contreras back because it's like, we're only doing this to clear room for Langoliers. Like, now, like we don't want to create this issue again with our young catchers. So they kind of stalled because they didn't have any extra position players to deal. So, so the trade is kind of stalled out. If you remember a week before the trade actually came down, like there was a report that the Braves were close to trading for Sean Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's kind of where it stalled. And then Matt Arnold just kind of swoops in and is like, guys, I can solve both of your problems. I'll take Contreras off your hands because if you're getting Murphy, you don't want to like, you're going to move out Contreras because Murphy's now your catcher of the future. They signed him to an extension, so he's their guy. There's no reason to have both of them, but they don't want him, so we'll take him. And in exchange, Oakland will give you the position player prospect you want in Asteri Ruiz that you guys covet. That that can be your next Ricky Henderson if he hits. So the so the Oakland A's were just like, all right, that works for us. Atlanta Braves were like, well, we're getting Murphy in this, and it takes Contreras off our hands, so. That works for us, and they're able to make it happen. Plus, they got two relievers on top of this. Yes, that, that's, that's, that's the crazy part to me. <laughs> being able to being able to swing this, being able to send Ruiz out and get Contreras back, even in just a one for one, would have been an astounding move by Stern, but or by Arnold. But not only did he do that, he also got a relief pitcher from both teams. Mm-hmm. He got Yoel Piops from the Oakland A's who's got big league experience, who can fit right into that Brewers bullpen. You know, is he great? I mean, he's he's a middle reliever. You know, he, he's not going to be your eighth inning guy, but it's a it's a middle relief arm. You know, you, you get some help there in the big league bullpen. You get Justin Yeager, a minor league reliever from the Atlanta Braves. Could he be good? Maybe. I mean, who knows? He's got some control issues that he's got to work out. But, hey, it's whatever. It's it's a lottery ticket on a, on a double-A relief arm. But – you gave up nothing to get them. You gave up nothing to get these guys. On top of, you know, just moving out Asteri Ruiz for Contreras, which is essentially what it was. And then on top of that, you get two relief pitchers for free. Like, you already got Contreras essentially at a major discount. Like, it is it is like Cole's cash to the extreme. It's like you just stole the entire <laughs> stack of Cole's cash. And just like they, like Coles ended up paying you for buying stuff. Like that's pretty much what it was. Yeah, basically. It, and it's still like I get that the Brewers contributions basically made the trade between the two teams work. But it's still just weird to think they didn't look at the Brewers and be like, hey, wait a second. You guys are getting off pretty well in this. And like you were the ones to join late. And you know what? It just didn't matter because for those two teams – they accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. And yeah. just so happened, so did the Brewers, but to an even yeah. bigger level. And like with with the pitchers that you named, like you said, like Piamps, you need guys like that in the bullpen. Not every guy in the bullpen is going to be a Josh Hader or Devin Williams. You need those like guys who aren't terrible, but aren't great. They're there and they fill innings. And more often than not, things go well. And that's kind of what, Piamps is. He's a journeyman, sure. Um, yeah. but he's got a low three ZRA. Like that's that's good. You you yeah. want those types of arms in the bullpen. And Jaeger is the type of guy who um high, high strikeout guy. So, you know, brewers love those types of pitchers and trying to see if they can turn him around. Maybe they don't, but again, like he's the least consequential piece of this trade. And if he turns And he cost out, you nothing. Exactly. And if he turns out to be good, then that makes the trade that much better. And yeah. if he doesn't, it's still an amazing trade. Like we yeah. said at the beginning, if you only got Contreras out of this, 
it is still a fantastic trade for the Brewers. It just might be even better than that because of the extra added little pieces you got. Yeah, it's it, it's incredible. It, it's incredible that they were able to pull this off and that both other teams were so distracted that it's like, okay, well, we just got our things done. You know, it's like, I'm like that even the Braves didn't ask for at least like just like one low level minor leaguer on top right. of, you know, just get like taking Contreras off their hands. Like, well, we should at least get something for them, you know, besides just getting Murphy from, from Oakland, you know, you'd think, you know, at least some prospect, but no, nothing that they're just like, Hey, we got Murphy. That's all we need. Whatever. Cool. We got Murphy in, we got Contreras out the door to somebody else and all good. Yeah. But I bet there's an alternate timeline where the Brewers didn't have to be involved because the Braves ended up sending not just Manny Pena, but also Orlando Arcia to the A's. And the A's were like, all right, we got our position players. That's a, that's okay. I don't uh, know why that would have happened that way, but um, there, there's there, there's a weird, in the, in the MLB multiverse, there is a timeline where that happened, where two former Brewers end up going to the A's, and that causes the actual Brewers not to be involved in the trade. Yeah. Your wild conspiracy theory action. There we go. Tinfoil hat corner here. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Tinfoil hat. I mean, for, for Atlanta, I mean, Atlanta had to know that once they got Murphy, any sort of leverage they had to get anything for Contreras was going to be severely limited. Mm-hmm. They'd have no leverage, and everyone would be trying to take him off their hands for pennies on the dollar. So they knew once Murphy was coming over, and the Brewers knew Murphy was going to be coming over in the steal. Mm-hmm. So it's like, look, you got no leverage. You have to move this guy anyways. Yeah. So I get that they were able to make it work. So I don't know, but it was it was amazing. That is that is for sure, and it was certainly a, a good highlight, uh, I guess, as a big story to end the year. Uh, to end 2022 for the Brewers and head into 2023 on a high note. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that's the important thing. You know, that there's a lot more optimism around this team um, heading into 2023 now that they've made this Contreras trade. Um, I, I think people are feeling a little bit more at ease with Stern stepping down and Matt Arnold taking over because, I mean, if, if Matt Arnold can pull off more trades like this, then, I mean, yeah. he's going to he's going to reach Stern status pretty quickly. But, um, you know, with, with all the, the tough things that happened earlier in the season and, and missing the playoffs, um, you know, I, I think it's a it's a good way to, to end the year and kind of carry things over into 2023. They still have some more work to do uh, this offseason, but it's a it, it's a very good signature move um, for the Brewers to have made to, to cap off a wild year of 2022. Yeah, and yep, I get that the Brewers haven't spent any free agent money. We'll probably talk about that in the new year unless something changes between now and then. Um, we've got some extensions still to be made. Um, there's yes. still the Brewers hopefully aren't done at this point, but you know what? There are there's a month and a half until pitchers and catchers report. There's time even after that to where the Brewers can still make some moves. There's time left. There's things to get done. Um, there will be some news that Brewers fans will like. Might be some that Brewers fans don't like. Who knows? Um, but it sounds like unless something happens in the next uh, 48 plus ish hours from the time we're recording this podcast, um, at the very least, like you said, we head out of the year on a high note. Um, we've got some areas that the Brewers are improved in. We didn't even talk about some of the other acquisitions like Jesse Winker um, and Jansen Junk, obviously. Um, but we end on a high note. We've got a new catcher of the future. Things are looking up. Things are looking up. That's exactly what Aaron Rodgers has said after uh, one of the past wins past couple of weeks. We'll see what happens with them, but uh, yeah. more on that in the new year. So um, we'll get into uh, all that stuff, and we're going to head into season four of the Cold Brew Podcast. This puts a wrap on season three. It, it's amazing to believe that we've been doing this for three years now. Going on year four, uh, started in 2020. Uh, thank you to everyone who has listened over the past couple of years and, and listening now. If you found us all the way back then or if you just found us recently, 
Uh, thank you for listening uh, to the podcast. Thank you for reading at reviewingthebrew.com. Um, and just everything, we could not thank you enough uh, for, for all the stuff that, that you guys do. And, you know, it's it's really a joy to be able to put this together, put on this podcast each and every single week and and run the run the websites and just, you know, interact with everybody on, on Twitter and social media um, and just kind of see the, the passion for the brewers. It's been a wild year, um, but we will see you all in the new year. Uh, that'll do it for us this week. We'll see you again for season four of the Cold Brew Podcast next week. Thanks for listening. This has been the Cold Brew Podcast.